Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 519. Can you hear my voice being all soft and gentle? I'm really excited about this episode. I've been, I prepped it earlier um, and I just, I sat down to have some some lunch and watch some TV and I thought I'll record it this evening. And I've turned off what I'm watching because I can't stop thinking about it because I was really excited to talk to you all. And for some reason, I was also excited because I'm recording on my own. I was excited to talk quite gently to you all. I mean, this is a weird start, isn't it? Basically, to end Pride Month, I wanted to do a little special episode where I talk to you. It's Pride Film Club. I want to recommend a load of my favourite um, LGBTQ f- 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 films. Uh, you may have seen some of them, you, you, you may not. I'm hoping there's some things in here that you haven't seen. But I want to just kind of, yeah, talk to you about them and recommend them. I was meant to have a guest joining me, but they couldn't make it. Um, and then I just thought, look, you guys know that when it comes to films, I could talk for hours on end anyway. And yeah, there's so many great and varied gay f- films that I think I think sometimes a lot of straight people don't have them on their radar and things like that but but we'll get into all of that so um essentially I wanted to do it at the end of Pride Month because Pride Month is amazing I love Pride I love watching all of my gay friends thriving and celebrating themselves like you can hear the smile on my face as I started to talk about this I did a tweet the, the other week a rare tweet I don't I don't use socials much at the moment but um i did a tweet saying there's nothing that brings a tear to my eye more than um than queer joy and i'll explain that because i had a few people reply to i didn't reply to anyone because people just love arguing or stuff like that but i had a few people reply saying like oh well what's what's wrong with straight joy or whatever else it's like i didn't say i don't like do you know what i mean like, like it's the assumption that expressing a love of something is a, expressing a hatred of everything else, which it isn't. The reason queer joy moves me so much, particularly often when presented in TV and film, like I think the recent series of Ted Lasso told a really good story of sexuality, but the reason it moves me so much is because of all the conversations I've had with friends of mine in that community and in that world, documentaries I've watched, films I've watched, things I've read. The episode I did of this podcast like eight years ago or something with Tom Robinson, not Tommy Robinson, Tom Robinson, the good one, and speaking to someone that I consider a friend. Like this is a real life person. I'm not reading a history book. I was sitting opposite a real life person who I consider a friend who I love talking to and have had numerous wonderful conversations with and he was telling me how when he realised his sexuality, the feelings he was having were illegal. And that kind of thing's mind-blowing. And there's so many documentaries and films and stories about the hardship that the LGBTQ community has been through and continues to go through. And they're important stories to tell. A few of them are in this list. But it's because of that that seeing my gay friends and strangers just be able to be open and celebrate who they are. I'm choking up now. Um, It's a beautiful thing. And the joy is important to capture as well as telling the the history and the hardship and the sadness and the persecution. I saw a few people say, oh, do we need a whole month for pride? 
like get over yourselves. It's like, no, we don't need a whole month. But then the queer community hasn't needed decades and decades of abuse and oppression and continual threat. Like the queer community doesn't need countless countries where it's still illegal and somewhere it's punishable by death to be who they are, to feel what they feel. So now they don't need a month, but then they don't need all the fucking bullshit ever, so shut the fuck up. But yeah, the reason I wanted to do this now is Pride is a beautiful month, but it it doesn't have to be restricted to the month. And again, here, like this podcast is for everyone, but here I'm kind of talking to my hetero friends most because we're the ones that may, you know, have this month of celebrating queer culture and then on with the rest of the year. Obviously, all my queer mates are loving it all year round, you know. Anyway, I'm going to do the... Uh, I should... I, I'm, as I'm recording this on my own, I'm forgetting that I do an intro first and then we have the sting and there might be an advert or something and then we get into the body of the podcast. So, as ever, we are brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com. That's where you can buy my merch. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Rubius Pipio is where you can subscribe for like a dollar a month and support the podcast. Um, I put a little exclusive picture up there recently because I recorded my first in-person episode in a while and it's a really good guess and what I used to do on the Patreon was every time I recorded one of them I'd upload the picture there as a little preview so if you want to go and look at that feel free to subscribe you'll get a little heads up ahead of time yeah let's get into the podcast I mentioned there before we get into it though do go back and listen to those it was a two-part with Tom Robinson go back and listen to the Michael Cashman episode um it's astounding he was a key part of starting Stonewall. His story is amazing. The way he speaks of his his former partner is heartbreaking. I cried in in the room at the time, and I've cried every time I've, I've listened to a clip of it. Go back and listen to last year's episode with Jack Rook, where we talk about his amazing show, um, Big Boys. Yeah, there's loads of really good good episodes that show the beauty of the art coming out of the. LGBTQ community and world. There's there's loads more episodes I could recommend there, but yeah, they're ones that are definitely worth going back and checking out. Listen to the episode with every episode I've had with Moose Rockwonga. Moose is one of my favourite people. He's educated me so much, directly and indirectly, on on so many of these these subjects. Um, There's few people I love as dearly as I love Moose that aren't either a blood relative or someone I've had sex with. Um, (laughs) So yeah, let's play the intro music. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 519. And it's Pride Film Club, baby. Note to listener, I, Scroobius Pip, will not be posting a list online, so while you are listening, please write down the films you'd like to see and make your own note and list. Thank you. Okay, here we are. So, I wanted to recommend a a load of films for you, and I want to say as well, I know I mentioned earlier I've kind of left social media, but if any of you watch any of these, please tweet me or leave a comment on, you know, either my Instagram or the Distraction Pieces Network Instagram um, about your thoughts, because whilst I'm not really active on there, I do check a couple of times a week, so I will see your comment. 
and I'd really like to know your thoughts. Um, before we get into it, I wanted to give a little guide for straight people watching gay films. <laughs> and that sounds weird, but my first tip is don't panic, all right? It's okay. It's going to be all right. I'd kind of recommend, if you don't watch a lot of gay s- cinema, I'd kind of recommend watching on your own the first few. Like I had a mate who's a really good guy, but he's, he's straight. He recommended, or he told me about, he'd watched Bros recently, amazing film. Really good, really f- funny. But he was like, oh, yeah, but, you know, he got a bit a bit full on a few times, like with some of the gay, like, kissing and sex scenes and stuff like that. And it's, again, it's like, <laughs> it, it's nothing to be scared of. But I think if you're watching with other people, because of the way our society has raised us, we'll often kind of laugh awkwardly or or make some kind of comment or have to feel you have to acknowledge that you're watching something gay, but you're not gay. It's like when you go and see a horror in the cinema and something scary happens and there'll be a load of people who go, oh, oh, or get scared or jump and there'll be a few who who laugh every time something scary happens. And it's a defence mechanism. It's going, I'm not, I'm, I'm all right, I'm not scared. And I feel that with, sometimes, with straight people watching gay cinema that there's a bit of a fucking hell oh (laughs) it's it's a bit um, i I am straight you know don't worry about any of that like even on your own allow yourself to feel your feelings do you know what i mean like don't panic it doesn't mean anything you don't have to label anything right there's a scene in in one of the films i'm gonna recommend which is honestly it's gay as fuck it's so fucking gay it's as gay as it gets, and it had me in tears at how fucking beautiful it was. Like, I love it. It's, it's one of my favourite films in cinema history. I, Scroobius Pip, a, a mostly straight man from Essex, of all places, comfortably declare that one of my favourite f- scenes in cinematic history is a guy wanking off another guy, and it's beautiful. And I will argue and speak about its beauty for as long as anyone wants, because it's just... It's something else. And it's all right. Like, you don't have to panic. I didn't get aroused while I watched it. And again, it would have been fine if I did. I'm sure there are some some scenes in some of these films that I did get, you know, a little bit, you know, there, there were some emotions, some feelings. And they're all fine. Like, they're all okay. All of your feelings are okay. They don't... They, no one's going to come and take away your straight card, Okay. But then if you want to explore them feelings, you, you could find that you want to turn in your straight card. And that's a beautiful thing too. So, yeah, just as a kind of little warning there, or a little bit of advice, just relax and don't panic and don't overthink things. Enjoy the beauty. Enjoy all of this. I always remember when they first had like some g- 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 gay kisses on TV and people who were kind of quite liberal would be like, yeah, I mean, it's all fine, but no, you know, not while I'm having dinner. It's like, excuse me? Excuse the fuck me, you're basically saying there it's all fine, but it does turn my stomach. It does make me feel sick. That's a you problem. There's something going on there. You know, particularly as at that point, the gay kisses weren't graphic or anything. You know? So, um, yeah. Relax and just enjoy all of these beautiful films for what they are. And embrace all the emotions. If you do feel a little bit of discomfort, kind of 
sit in that for a bit. Have a think about it. Kind of, you know, maybe unpick some things and question why that might be. But gay cinema isn't just for the gays. (laughs) It's for everyone. And these stories are beautiful. And I truly think they're often at the cutting edge of stories and storytelling. And partly because of how much they've maybe been held back or restricted in the past. And with that in mind, also I'm going to jump around countries as well. I want to recommend some British ones, some American ones, some French ones, some Italian ones. And I'd love to hear your recommendations as well. One of the reasons I was excited to have a guest on with me when that was the original plan was I want to get some good recommendations. So, um, yeah, feel free to hit me up. I think the, 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 the only place to start is with a British film called Victim from 1961, directed by Basil uh, Dearden, starring Dirk Bogard and Sylvia Sims. And it's a film that truly made history, right? Like When it came out in 1961, homosexuality was illegal. And it's a thriller that tells the story of a barrister being blackmailed about his, his sexuality. Um, and it's a, it's a, like, a, a noir-style, like, classic, tense a thriller in that respect, but it was kind of the first film. It wasn't the first film that had queerness in or gay stories in, but it was kind of the first film that showed sympathy for the situation. Like it was refused, like to show again. It sounds so, so much of this is so hard to get your head around in the like with your current lens, but like, it was refused initially, refused a seal of approval for for, for release in America. And had all sorts of issues over here, like over here, an official of the BBFC, the people who, rate, who, 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 who age the films and all that, an official for that had set out their views on homosexuality in, in film. And it said, to the great majority of cinema goers, homosexuality is outside their direct experience and is something which is sh- shocking, distasteful and disgusting. Like, this is an official from the British Board of Film Censors, okay? And and uh, and, and it was said, by contrast, um, Ralph said, what I think we want to say is that, of, of the film, of, of Victim, said, what I think we want to say is that the homosexuality, although subject to a psychological or glandular variation from sexual normality, is a human being subject to all the emotions of other human beings and as deserving of our understanding. Unless he sets out to corrupt others, it is wrong for the law to pillory him because of his inversion. And he said that victim was a story not of glands, but of love. And that's just a reflection of how mad those times were, that those things had to be said to try and, that you had to try and humanise um, homosexuals. Mad. And, uh, and this film is genuinely credited for playing a huge part in liberalising views towards homosexuality in Great Britain. And that's the power of cinema. That's the importance of story. Telling, I, I, I wax on about this anytime I get a chance in a podcast. I really think it's. I think I spoke about it when I had Will Porter on when he'd done Detroit, because I really think again I'm going over old ground. I've said a million times, but I think even with the popularity of documentaries in recent years, there's still a certain kind of person who will watch a documentary and a certain kind of person who won't. But that kind of person who won't might just pop a film on or see what the new release is. And telling these stories in a dramatised or fictional manner 
can get through to all sorts of different people. And as said, the beauty of victim is it showed sympathy and showed complexity. So those who at the time would just read the propaganda or hadn't been exposed to homosexuality. Again, I say all the time that everyone who's transphobic or homophobic or whatever else clearly just hasn't got any gay or trans mates. Because if you have some gay and trans mates, you know they're not this threat (laughs) that people think. You know that the only gay agenda is just trying to improve the dryness of a lot of straight people. And yeah, I I think the beauty of of telling these stories is it can break that 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 propaganda, that 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 that, that kind of impression that at that time that all gays are some these dark deviants. The guy in this story is is a barrister and is a a, a leading member of society. And and I mean the guy playing him, the Bogart, his story in itself is heartbreaking because he too had to hide kind of his sexuality, his truths self for the bulk of his life due to laws and taboos and he spoke a bit towards the end of his life on it but yeah and all that aside like it's just a wonderful thrilling film like it's a wonderful thrilling just an enjoyable watch it's like a 90 minute watch or something it's easy viewing and it happens to have as said changed a society played a part in changing society it did end up getting released in america and again, it, it it had its impact out there as well. And I think it's just a really important f- film. I went to see it. Where did I go and see it? What's that? Um, there's a gallery or something in, where is it? In South London? Dulwich? Is Dulwich Museum or Dulwich Gallery a thing? I'm sure it was somewhere like that. And it was it was screened on a, they had a little screen in there and it was, it was amazing. I loved it. So yeah, that's, that's where we're starting. V- victim, 19th. 61 go and give it a look and let me know your thoughts and i want to kind of bounce around as well as bouncing around countries i want to bounce around um eras um because i know some people just aren't into old films aren't into black and white films or whatever else but then some people aren't into subtitles and that annoys me a bit but i try not to be a snob about it all right so we're going to a french film now and i would say please watch it with subtitles but if you need to go dubbed then go dubbed just don't just, just don't do it in front of me all right, it turns my stomach. Like you can do it in the privacy of your own home. Just don't thrust it in my face. We're going to one twenty BPM from two thousand and seventeen, directed by a Robin Campillo. And I've talked about this probably in more detail, probably on the two thousand and seventeen Films of the Year podcast because um, it was in my Films of the Year. And I know I brought it up when I was on Lou Sanders Cuddle Club, but we'll get to that. It's set in France in the early 90s and it tells the story of a group of HIV AIDS activists associated with the Paris chapter of ACT UP. Now ACT UP uh, a real life grassroots political group and the story kind of follows this group as they try and take action in the fight in the uh, you know in the AIDS epidemic. In the 80s the French government had pledged a certain amount of support and that maybe wasn't coming through Kind of a key storyline here is there had been a breakthrough in the medical world and they were holding off announcing it until their big conference, like at a certain point in the year and stuff like that, rather than going, oh, there's people dying, we need to deal with this. Um, But just the characters and the story is beautiful. Uh, A lot of people saw, yeah, I posted about this, when everyone was going crazy over It's a Sin a few years back, which they were going rightfully crazy. I think It's a Sin is just a work of art. It's so beautiful. 
you know, it's warm and heartbreaking at the same time. And that tells the story of the UK's fight in a similar period, kind of that was 80s into 90s. But so it's a series, isn't it? So it's got more time. And this is the tail end of where It's a Sin was and, you know, across the the oceans. So if you enjoyed that, then this is definitely a film to you. And as I mentioned earlier, this is the one I mentioned earlier. There's this one scene that I talked about in, in, in Cuddle Club because Lou Sanders has a question in Cuddle Club that what's your favourite on-screen cuddle? And I asked Lou if a hand job counts as a cuddle because it is, it's like a really focused cuddle, isn't it? It's a really, it's a cuddle really focused on one part of the body. Um, But yeah, there's a scene in this, in a hospital, where one of the characters gives another character a hand job and it's just one of the most beautiful and tender scenes I've ever seen in my life. Honestly, it's so beautiful. Like I was in bits. I was crying. It's so beautiful and so tender and it's so real and it speaks to like I did a I did an episode with Headway, who's who's a charity that helped people who've had head traumas. And one of the things that they talked about in that was that anyone who has some kind of big accident can really struggle with the fact that at points their sexuality is lost in the accident like at least the view from the outside you know they could have been a wonderfully s- sexual being and then they've had this accident and now they're this this victim or this person who's gone through a hardship and that's what this kind of speaks to a, a little bit that you know this person's in hospital for one reason or an, another I'm not gonna talk you through the whole film and yeah that moment of allowing them to be a sexual being again in the most, like, direct and visceral way. Fuck, man, it's beautiful. And the whole film is, like, similar to It's a Sin. They do a really good job of telling the truth of the sadness and hardship of the time, but also reveling in the queer joy of the scene at the time, too. Like, you know, this, this is still within the generation that would have been the first, really, to have their feelings and attractions not be illegal, right? If you're thinking... You know, it's the 90s and they're, they're grown-ups born late 60s, early 70s or, or or even earlier. This is kind of the first generation here who, again, there was still a lot of social persecution and taboo and all this kind of thing, particularly when the AIDS epidemic broke out and was blamed all on one culture. But the excitement, it's like, it's why the 80s has got so much great gay music because it's... All these people have had to hide it for so long are suddenly going, fuck, look at us, and being happily fabulous. And it's it's beautiful. And, uh, yeah, 120 BPM does a really good job of that. Like I, I was discussing this with some people the other day in a meeting. It's beautiful to me that so much happens in It's a Sin and it so much that impacts you. But the bit that gets r- referenced the most is the la... And it's a beautiful little signal of, of of happiness and positivity and love. And that's dope, man, because there's so much heaviness in that, and rightfully so, it's, it's stories that have to be told. But I love that it's a little bit of beauty and lightness that um, is one of the, you know, long-standing bits that comes out of it. Um, on to the next one. We'll keep in 2017. I think this was also in my films of the year. Beach Rats, American. We're going over to America now. Beach Rats in 2017, directed by Eliza Hitman. 
and starring a debuting Harris Dickinson, who's received a lot of love in recent years for Triangle of Sadness and See How They Run. Both films are rated massively. And this film means a lot to me as well, because I saw this in a cinema in Brooklyn when it came out. I was out there recording podcasts. It was the day before I recorded with Gene Gray. Go back and listen to, to, to that episode. It's amazing. I'd love to have Gene back on sometime, actually. I had to walk about an hour to get to this, this cinema, so I'd really entrench myself in New York, in the atmospheres, in the vibe, in the architecture, in the graffiti, in the people. And then I went to see this film that's set in New York, in, in, in Brooklyn. It's a story of Brooklyn. And this is probably the straightest gay film on my list. <laughs> because it's about like a macho young Brooklynite who's kind of wrestling and coming to terms with his sexuality. And it's beautifully complex in the way that this all unfolds. It feels complex and real as he kind of has to balance his surroundings with his feelings and urges. Like, as a character, he's not particularly pro-gay. Like, (laughs) he's doing gay shit, but he's not necessarily a fan of gays. Like, he's confused. He's not sure what to feel. Like, he's grown up in a place where the F word is used regularly as, like, a casual insult. Like, you've heard that slur in that Brooklyn accent, you know? And yeah, he's kind of... He's kind of homophobic. <laughs> He's kind of a homophobic c- c- character, and that's what he has to, to to wrestle with. And what I loved about this as a story is it just feels so real. Like, it never feels like it has an agenda or anything, or, you know, it, it just seems to unfold in such a genuine way. There's not that kind of scripted, here's his journey. It's like, no, there's ups and downs and turn-offs and comes-backs on, and I can't speak, but yeah... It's really good. I really enjoyed it and I thought it really, it felt current and modern and real. It was looking at the modern world, which, you know, things like Pride can highlight and show the times and areas in which we're at the best point ever for this kind of thing. Like, we've come so far, we're embracing, like, one of the biggest shows in the world is RuPaul's Drag Race, all all, all sorts of things, things, things like this. But it shows our current times, but in an area that isn't necessarily fully in that world. And there's loads of them. I live in Essex, mate. You don't have to worry about that. I can I can attest to that. So, and I think that's kind of thing's really important because as we've seen, or as we saw with Brexit and with Trump and with Boris and all these kind of things, it can feel at times that we've really progressed a lot. But if we're only surrounding ourselves with the progression and in those worlds, then we can get a big fucking shock when we learn that there's a lot of areas that haven't progressed in that manner and that way. And Beach Rats really holds that juxtaposition well within the geographical area and within the fucking heart of the lead character. Like, it's a, it's, it's, it's a battle going on internally and externally. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Give it a look. Where should we go next? Let's go over to Italy. We'll go over to Italy and then we'll go back to a few other countries and get a few more in. Uh, so, over to Italy. We're going back again to, we're going to 1977 and it's a film called A Special Day, directed by Ettore Scola and starring the legend Sophia Loren. I looked this up on Wiki and it says, themes addressed in the film include gender roles, fascism and the persecution of homosexuals under the the Mussolini regime. And it really does. They are the themes 
that are addressed. That pretty much sums it up perfectly. So let's move on. No, let's not move on. Because that doesn't get across what a beautiful, gentle and warm film this is. Like the pace, like it really unfolds slowly and beautifully. And there's a long period where it's hard to know what the themes are or what the story is or where the story is going to go or what's going to be addressed. You kind of feel something's going to happen. But this is about a woman, this kind of stay-at-home housewife while her husband is out being a fascist, <laughs> doing fascist stuff. But we're not really out with the husband doing fascist stuff. We're getting like bits of that. We're getting bits of the geopolitical setting through the radio being on or the newspapers and things things like that. We're staying with this, this woman. And then there's like a neighbour and we start to, you know, we're wondering where this is going to go, who this neighbour is, like what the interaction is going to be. But it's really not, it's not driven it drifts um, and it effortlessly drifts through the complexities and contradictions of sexuality and emotions and feelings. People, like particularly straight people, can often get so hung up on, on definitions and labels and the rules or whatever. Again, in reply to that tweet I did, I've not done many tweets. So that was one of the last tweets I did. Someone was like, but what does queer actually mean? And then we had this whole whole, whole back and forth and it wasn't as bad as it sounds. Like It ended up being, I think, a decent interaction I took it on good faith that their inquiries were genuine rather than being a dickhead trying to argue. But yeah, anyway, that aside, people, particularly straight people, can often get so hung up on the definitions and labels and the rules or whatever, but forget how non-conforming all issues of the heart tend to be, regardless of gender or sexuality or anything else. I'm someone who is a slave to logic, right, in my day-to-day life. Logic is really important to me. But there's been countless times in my life that logic has gone out of the window because of emotion, because of passion, because of love, because of feelings. And loads of times I've been confused because I can't can't l- logic it all out. I can't go, yeah, but this, this, this. And or like, yeah, but this is fine because this, this, this. But it's like, but no, I feel like shit still, <laughs> regardless of all the logic. Or I feel amazing and I feel so excited and vibrant. So again, yeah logic and labels and whatever else can go completely out the window you know they can be handy as a starting place but there can be contradictions and there can be non-conforming traits in these things so uh yeah and this film really captures all of that way back in in 1977 so yeah absolutely ahead of its time again i'm just talking about the slow pace i swear this is still only like a 90 minutes or pretty sure it's under under t- two hours Maybe 100 minutes, hundred and I want to say 107 for some reason, but that's weirdly specific. But yeah, it really, it takes its time and it's gentle and it's powerful. And yeah, it just feels massively ahead of its time, particularly at that time, particularly in Italy. It's great. L- let's come back to the UK and let's just have a Francis Lee section. Because Francis is a British director, I believe, from West Yorkshire. And he's someone who I just think is making the most astounding films at the moment, right? There's a few people who, who right now, whatever they release, I want to see it. Off the top of my head, I'd put Robert Eggers in there. I'd put the Safdie brothers in there. I'd put Gaspar Noe. He's been on that list for a long time. And Francis is very much on that list. I'm always excited to see what Francis wants to present to us. And in 2017 and 2020, he released two wide, wildly different films that both told stories of sexuality in such a tender, complex and compelling way. You know, the first was God's Own Country, starring Josh O'Connor, who's who's blown up recently in The Crown, and Alec Saccharin, Saccarano? Saccarano? 
apologies. And yeah, again, it's just beautiful and complex and explosive love stories set in current day rural England. Like not the easiest place for sexuality to be explored. <laughs> not the easiest way to, to confirm or 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 deny any confusion or feelings. Like there's real conflict and anger in this story and a whole range of emotions as it's played out. And the two lead performances are just astounding. There's passion and excitement, but there's self-loathing and confusion. And it's all just so viscerally but delicately told. So to give a brief kind of thing, Josh's character works on a farm and he's trying to figure out, you know, his 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 feelings. Um, and Alex's character is like temporary kind of farmhand. And there's language barriers and there's all sorts of stuff and there's rivalry and yeah but it's really beautiful it really does that um like you know the cliche in in old films where a guy and a woman are kind of arguing or fighting or you know a guy's grabbing a woman to control her and then they and then suddenly they're not fighting and they're kissing and it all becomes emotional and beautiful it does that kind of cliche in you know in a way that that doesn't feel the slightest bit cliched it shows how close closely related all of these emotions are how passion can be could manifest in many different ways it's really really beautiful and the film rightly received like huge acclaim and was then followed in 2020 by ammonite starring kate winslet and saoirse ronan like two fucking icons like legit straight up icons and this time we're going to the 1840s and francis presents the story of two two women figuring out their emotions and feelings on a broader scale and for each other and 1840s lime regis dorset is another (laughs) location that doesn't exactly lay out a smooth setting for sexuality to be explored like 80s london or 80s to 90s france all these kind of things it's like yo fucking figure it out like early 80s so pre-epidemic perfect place to go i'm not sure what i'm into but let's fucking Let's roll some some dice. Let's get these dice fucking mucky and see and, and see where they land. Not the case <laughs> in 1840s Lyme Regis. And there's some really beautiful kind of social dynamic-based power struggles. There's denial, there's acceptance. There's so much and it's just so wonderful. Um, Kate Winslet's character is um, a fossil collector and is so stubborn and focused on living her life her way and like, like when I say stubborn I mean kind of beaten into her path due to all life has thrown at her all the restrictions of that time and the prejudices of that time has made her quite resilient rather than stubborn let's throw stubborn out of the way resilient and 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 resolved in her 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 path and Saoirse Rona's character just turns up and is kind of like what <laughs> what's all this about all right but because there's a um, a social dynamic power struggle, Sersha is from a higher class, I guess. There's kind of has to be a reluctant subservience, but that reluctant subservience at points opens up Kate's character in ways that maybe it wouldn't have, and vice versa. The kind of the resilience of Kate's character kind of presents Sersha's character with resistance and yeah things that she wouldn't have experienced 
before previously being just obeyed at every whim kind of thing. It's really good. I think it didn't get the credit it deserved at the time because it came out just after um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which had kind of similar themes and similar struggles and conflicts. Also a beautiful film. Like, that's on my list in the French section. Like, we were at 44 minutes. I don't think we're going to get a chance to go into it, but that won awards hand over fist for good reason. It's so beautiful and so wonderfully told but you know that's the curse of cinema at times right that things can come out close to each other by pure chance like when dread came out dread i think is amazing the the light i can't remember how what year but like 2000 and something or other not the the stallone judge dread film but dread i thought was amazing but it came out just after raid and dread is all set in one tower block and it's a fight kind of going up the tower block and that's what raid did and raid was so highly acclaimed at the time that it kind of meant that dread got a little bit not overlooked but kind of maybe people thought it had ripped off raid or whatever but again people don't realize how long films take to get made so these things were happening independent of each other for a long time before um we got our, our grubby little eyes on them so yeah i feel there's a little bit of that with ammonite like oh obviously it got loads of critical acclaim it's a respected and loved film, but I feel it deserves more love and respect and more eyes on it. And that's why I'm talking about it here. Basically, just if you're you're listening and you're in the industry or out of the industry, give everything you can to Francis Lee. <laughs> like, if you're in the industry, give Francis all the money and support to tell his stories. And if you're out of the industry, get your eyes on Francis's f- f- films and watch them and enjoy them and take them in um i think we'll do maybe one more as said as we're oh, we're approaching the hour mark and i don't want to overwhelm you because i'd love you to try and like i called it the pride film club because i want it to be a bit like a book club like i would it would be cool if you can try and get these as many of these as possible watched or if they just if there's any that jump out to you you know i'd love to hear your your thoughts on it and as said hit me up on socials or if you're in my discord or on my patreon their places I see everything like Twitter's weird it won't show me everything particularly as I'm not active much on there anymore it will hide certain things but, but but yeah I'll probably see most of those things but if you're in my discord or on my patreon I'll definitely see any messages or or um posts like there's a film and tv section on my discord so you can chat in there really good community really good community a nice friendly community um, okay, well, let's wrap things up with... Let's go back to America. I think this was a film... Was this the first year I did my Films of the Year podcast? This came out in 2015, and I've got a vague memory of the artwork of this being on a an image I made. So, yeah, I think this might have been the first year I did the Films of the Year podcast. It's a, it's a film called Tangerine, and it's directed by Sh- Sean Baker. Weirdly, I went... I was in the screen I saw this in a couple of weeks ago and it's the first time I've been in this since it's at Picture House Central in uh, in London and a couple of weeks ago I went to see Bo is Afraid and it happened to be in the same screen I saw Tangerine in. and I've seen other things at Picture House Central since but I just haven't seen that and I, I remember going to see Tangerine with my mate Indy who actually got me in to write something for Greenpeace recently I've not mentioned that on the podcast but there's a recent campaign by Greenpeace that they made this sh- short film with Steve McQueen producing it. So, fucking hell, that's mad. But they got me in to write some spoken word. It's called Don't Stop. 
So if you go on the Greenpeace um, Instagram, it will be on there or on their YouTube. It's called Don't Stop, and it's a little short film kind of music video thing that's like seven minutes long. It's got Will Porter in it. It's really good, and I wrote some spoken word at the end of it. So give that a look. That's a tangent. I didn't know I was going to go on. But yeah, I went to see Tangerine with my mate Indy, and it blew me away. It's directed by Sean Baker, who I, who I would put on that list of directors that ev- everything they release, I want to give it a look. After Tangerine, Sean did The Florida Project, which was also in my Films of the Year list. And then he did Rocket, Red Rocket, which was in my Films of the Year list as well. But Tangerine was the one that blew Sean up. It got a lot of hype because it was all shot on iPhone 5s, I think, which is a cool footnote, all right? Because when you watch it, it's just beautiful. Like, you can't tell it's all shot on iPhone 5s. It's so beautifully shot. It looks amazing. And it's about a transgender sex worker on a really hot night on the streets of LA. And it's just fucking such a good watch. It's got that chaoticness that everyone loved about Uncut Gems, but it's not quite got the absolute, I'm going to have a heart attack if this doesn't end soon vibe of Uncut Gems. So it's got the chaoticness that you enjoyed, but isn't as panic inducing, which, you know, I'd argue is a good thing. But yeah, it's wonderful. All the characters... Again, Sean tends to work with a whole lot of non-actors. He's a bit of a... Like Shane Meadows in that way. And there wasn't... I can't think that there was anyone in this I'd ever seen in anything before. And so many of them are clearly just real. (laughs) They're not characters at all. And they're all so... Pretty much every character, particularly the leads, are so abrasive and so bold, but just so, so endearing at the same time that you'll fall completely in love with everyone involved in it. Even though, the, it, it, again, that's one of the beautiful things with um, representation, right? Like it's, it's, it's not about, I say this all the time, the example I give is like female representation. It's not it's not all about Wonder Woman. Like it's not just about, here's a woman who's the lead and is wonderful and powerful and as strong as all the men and as cool as all the men, and as powerful and all this. It's about flawed characters and broken characters and 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 characters who have ugly sides and weaknesses and addictions and all sorts of problems. And yeah, there's loads of problems in Tangerine. Trust me, they're everywhere. It's a film of problems. It's a night of problems. Are they going to get solved? You'll have to tune in to find out. But yeah, it's really wonderful and I recommend it. I think I'll probably end it there. I mean, I could talk about bros, as 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 said. Let me just have a quick look through my um, the films I've watched this year and see if there's anything that I might want to give a quick heads up that is worth a fucking little sneak peek. Not much, I'm afraid. I want to watch Blue Jean. Blue Jean, I've heard, is amazing. I might watch that this evening. Everyone I know who's seen... I'm going to throw this in as, as an unwatched recommendation. Everyone I know who's seen Blue Jean has spoken so fucking highly of it. Um, and I just haven't got got round to it. So maybe as part of the film club tonight, I'll watch that. I'll get that watched. Or at least I'll get it watched before this episode is in your ears. How's that? I think that's where we end. As I said, this is really an episode that I was excited to record and to put out. I hope you'll share it. Anyone who's listening this far in, again, I really hope you'll share it. In fact, let's have the kind of outro sting and then I'll do. I'll wrap things up.
You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. There we go. Now we can professionally wrap things up. Anyone who is listening this far in, it's always a buzz and I appreciate you, man. You're, you're, you're key. You're, you're prime Team 3W. And if you don't know what Team 3W is, don't worry about it. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. As I said, I'd love to hear your recommendations, whether that be on Twitter, Instagram, Discord or Patreon. And I want to, as I said, I do want to quickly apologise that I'm doing this on my own. I would have loved to have had a queer compadre to discuss all these with. But as I said, the plan I had to to have a guest on, who I've purposely not named because I still plan to just have them on on their own right, like outside of my Pride Film Club episode. Um, but yeah, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope I've not said anything wrong. I think you can hear that all of this is coming from a place of warmness and adoration an allyship but if i fucked anything up reach out holler at your boy tell me all that stuff's fine you know people are scared to be corrected in this day and age as if correction is a bad thing we're all meant to be learning and evolving at all times so it's a positive um and yeah just love to all of my listeners of all genders and sexualities and orientations and all that kind of thing love to my asexuals love to everyone you're all fucking beautiful and glorious, and I'm so glad that you exist. Like, genuinely, I love that society is evolving and we're seeing all sorts of different evolutions of who people can be, of how people can be, of how people can express themselves and be their true selves. I think it's fucking beautiful, man. If 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 you're listening and any of the kind of changes and evolutions are scary or confusing, that's okay, mate. Like, don't stress. It's okay to not really understand it. Just approach it with love. You know, approach it with love. Always. And we'll all figure it out together. You know, the more you're around the thing, the more it makes sense, you know. Like, uh, let me try and think of an example. Like when you get a new smartphone and it's all different from your old smartphone. Proper weird, isn't it? I'm often bummed out for a couple of days after I get a new smartphone because it's, it's exciting to have the new technology but it just feels confusing and different and within a week or two you get more familiar with it you're around it constantly it's constantly in your hand you get, you get used to it and there's a point in the future where you're getting a new smartphone and the confusion and discomfort is because you missed that one that you had before and remember that that was was what was once confusing so just keep approaching these things with love and and compassion and not only will you get used to them, you'll grow to fucking adore them and love them and value them. And that's a beautiful thing, isn't it? I think we can agree on that. Okay, I'm going to r- wrap things up. I've had a really lovely time. I've recorded this on Sunday, all right? I've had a f- fucking beautiful w- weekend. And this is just a really beautiful way to to end it. So I'll thank you all for listening and thank you all for allowing me to, to ramble on as I have. I'll be back next week with a guest i've got loads of good guests coming on as said over on patreon i've revealed one that's on their way but as i speak now i've got two lined up next week a couple the week after it's all happening it's all happening over here yeah nice one have a lovely week as said spread this around tell people about it recommend it to others and yeah if you you might need to rewind to to note down any previous ones Hopefully you will have made your own list and you won't be hitting me up again. Is there a list anywhere, Pip, actually? I really enjoyed that episode. Is there a list anywhere? That is not. Go back and listen again. I think I get extra like 
points from if the same person listens multiple times. So it's all good. I'm struggling to end this, aren't I? I'm just really enjoying being in your company. Um, yeah, all right. I'll go. I'll leave you to it. Um, I'll see you next week. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and stay fucking fabulous. Happy Pride, everyone. <laughs>